Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Emily Shu and you're listening to Infinite Runway. This podcast explores stories, ideas, hidden assumptions, current events, and features guests on the future of tech, investing, media, and entertainment. The views expressed in this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and guests and should only be used for informational purposes. Well, welcome everyone to Infinite Runway. Today I have a very awesome guest to introduce to everybody. Her name is Spadana. And her and I met when I was working um, on a project inside of my past company. And uh, she, her company was doing integration with, with mine. And uh, I kind of just uh, did a lot of the project work with her and her team of engineers and my team of engineers. So that's basically what happened. Would you want to do a quick intro about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Emily, for having me on the show. And uh, for everyone listening, um, I hope that you take away some key points about startups, which is why we are here. Yes. Um, a quick intro. My name is Pandina. So um, I immigrated to the States about 13 years ago. And my immigration journey essentially shaped who I am today, which is to constantly have a growth mindset. Uh, when it comes to um, achieving your goals in life. Uh, Particularly, uh, I'm an engineer by trade, currently a tech lead at Facebook working uh, in payments. Before that, uh, I did my own startup in the ARVR space uh, in ad tech. It was called Hype. Uh, It was venture-backed. And before that, worked at Snap as well as Apple as a software engineer. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really great background that you have. Um, this is actually probably one of the uh, first types of episodes I'm filming with with a guest where they're coming from like a full fledged like background of working at both big companies and you know starting their own as as founders. So this this will be an interesting chat, I guess. Um, to start, uh, I want to know like sort of how you transitioned into becoming a founder in the first place. That was uh, almost by chance, I would say. Um, Ever since uh, college, I have always dreamed about starting my own business uh, and becoming self-sustainable, which was like a life goal. And it still is a life goal of mine, which I'm constantly working towards. Um, In college, I volunteered for startups um, to be in an operations role or um, coding on the side for some projects. Uh, but I never had this courage to uh, jump into a startup in my life due to several factors such as finances, immigration status, uh, where I was personally at my, uh, in terms of my career, whether I would be, I would be able to just take on a project by myself and see it through, you know, uh, success, whether I'm good at sales. I didn't have that courage to just jump in directly. So I started with corporate. I worked at Apple. I worked at Snap. While I was working at Snap, um, I would actively participate in hackathons, which are basically these 24-hour or 48-hour events. Uh, You're given a problem, very focused. Uh, You're supposed to build a prototype, pitch it um, to an audience. One of the hackathons was TechCrunch Disrupt. That was happening in SF. I gathered a few of my friends. Um, I told them basically, hey, you know what? Like, I love hackathons. You guys are engineers. You guys are designers. Let's come together, hack something, 
over this period of 24 to 48 hours. Um, and that's how I guess my startup started <laughs> as well, because the idea we came up with during those 24 hours was uh, how was focused on this problem around solving for ads and augmented reality. We developed a prototype about how ads could look like in the augmented reality environment and then showcase that on stage live. Um, a reporter, when we were walking off the stage, uh, just took our team on the side, asked us about AR, VR, and generally how we came up with this idea. He really found it cool, published us on TechCrunch, and now we're in the news. And we got basically um, uh, companies messaging us. Uh, there was one person who messaged us from AT&T asking us, hey, like, um, I want to know more about your product. Uh, how far along is it? And that sort of led to um, us formalizing this whole hackathon prototype into a business um, and forming a C-Corp and getting venture bagged and everything else that followed. So it was by chance that <laughs> everything happened um, and interest of people uh, in uh, interest, incoming interest of people who wanted to learn more, wanted to use the product that we had prototyped. So yeah. that's how we got started. So tell me about what year was this? I want to know sort of where AR and VR was um, as it relates to the perception to the public. Because I know uh, recently with like Meta and like Mark Zuckerberg's like, uh, you know, renewed investment in that space. I wonder how that was like back in the, the days when you kind of started this uh, this idea, like, was it well received by most investors? Was it like the new like hype thing, like Web3 blockchain stuff? Or was it more of like people cautiously optimistic about it, still trying to learn more about it? How was that like? Yeah, AR, VR at that time. I think this was your 2016, 2017. Yeah. Um, and AR, VR was, uh, didn't, there was a lot of research already going uh, on in the space there were companies forming startups but uh 2017 2018 was almost a year of hype uh which <laughs> which is what my startup is named after as well um there was a lot of hype within the Gartner cycles uh for ARVR tech uh hardware as well as software mm -hmm. uh, and investors were just uh almost throwing money at any startup doing ARVR yeah um and but in terms of like technology when i actually delved into the space started building my prototype uh ar kit had just launched ar core had just launched um and i started experimenting with essentially running uh some computer vision models on the phone and then utilizing ar kit and ar core and developing our very first ads sdk and mm -hmm in order to render like one live AR ad, uh, your phone battery would just go from 80% to like 20% within a span of five seconds and the phone would heat up because of uh, rendering the animations, lighting, um, the 3D models. So it was difficult to um, sort of use it on a day-to-day -day basis. You would see uh 3d models but they weren't uh as i guess like advanced as they are today that you can render 
back mm-hmm. then it was basic polygons that you could you could render uh, basic shapes not too much shading not too much detailing um within the 3d model um yeah. that you could successfully render on your phone yeah. um so uh, you know come now <laughs> ar has passed its hype cycle yeah. we are in serious uh, development uh, phase we have found use cases uh, which are very valid in the ad space in defense in medicine uh, for surgery uh, for coaching for um, uh, even in services space for training so yeah there are a lot of viable use cases for ar vr uh, and obviously marks take uh about the metaverse in itself and huge bet on metaverse about people interacting socially in the metaverse is also i think uh really huge and something serious right now yeah. than ever before yeah it's so interesting cuz back in 2017 as well that was uh when like blockchain was a thing i was like let's explore like ads use cases for like a digital out of home like right. ads so like right. i i explored like ways to uh use underutilized like restaurant resto bar like TVs yeah, you know where they play yeah. like ads and stuff yeah. like that and also bathrooms where they had like all those digital like spaces where they can run ads and just serve that in a decentralized way and have sort some sort of like a bidding process so it was very interesting yeah. that we both kind of explored ads during that time yeah that's a coincidence <laughs> yeah it is um so i guess like what were the key like lessons you learned being a founder like um for this specific startup Yes so I my startup um we got venture funded um post our hackathon um and I think we officially started March 2018 and we officially closed March 2019 which is a very short period for a startup um to open and close <laughs> um I think it's a deliberate decision why we did this um we were a team of two working on this uh AR startup uh i think like the biggest learning experience from this stint um is that um product market fit is important and so is timing mm-hmm. where we were in terms of timing we were like right at the hype cycle sure we got investment money uh to continue working on our product but in terms of the ad space and advertisers and what current products that they were that they already had which were you know banner ads and video ads and story ads that they were already using and the media formats that they were using were images and videos 3d ads was just definitely something new ar ads was new and most of these ads fell into their experimental budget mm. which was very seasonal um you had to essentially pitch uh, to businesses this proposal about this one off platform that they should integrate into their ads ecosystem to go live with augmented reality ads so while we got a lot of traction from developers who were interested in monetizing their apps uh in terms of brands um they weren't willing to shell out the budget that they would invest into other media formats like images and video and content that they already created and ha- had versus developing a ar ad is entirely new and takes much more time and budget to 
produce that um, piece of ad. Even though it's more interactive, more engaging, um, we we were able to prove all of that uh, through user studies and customer discovery for in terms of like um, which ad you know really converts. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, advertisers because they are seeing billions of impressions on other formats, they were um, uh, catering only experimental budget to this platform. Um, we didn't want to become a consulting shop mm-hmm. for them. Um, and we wanted to truly develop a SaaS solution, uh, an ads SDK uh, in the marketing space and become this sort of, you know, um, Google ads to augmented reality. Um, we didn't want to, because of the stage we, w- we were in, we didn't want to focus on becoming a consulting sort of company. Yeah. So sort of that vision about where we started, how we wanted to develop the technology and then like where we landed um, in terms of timing and then product market fit determined the future of the company. What that meant was right now is not a good idea for us to continue because we had to pivot to becoming a consulting company Um, or we had to pivot to some sort of research oriented company. Uh, and maybe spend five years, 10 years uh, until the timing is right. Right. So knowing that there were two options for us, we decided to wind it down and focus on maybe problems where timing is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, um, we, I and my co-founder, we had different interests. So in terms of the problems we wanted to solve, so I ended up uh, transitioning back to corporate um, instead of focusing on you know, our startup. Uh, we did patent all the technology we've developed and have approved patents for uh, our ads SDK and placing ads in mixed reality, yeah. which is really great. Um, and I think a happy ending for our startup. That's really awesome. Just to understand a bit more on the uh, use case, like how how would it be, how would um, consumers kind of uh, access those ads in, in mixed reality? Yeah, so consumers would access those ads through AR apps. So okay. let's say you're using a good example is let's say you're using Snapchat today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snapchat is plugged into various brands who can cater AR ads. For example, um, let's say you have a makeup brand or a sunglasses brand. Um, uh, as a platform, Hype would integrate into into brands and then distribute those ads. Uh, across various platforms like a Snapchat, like an Instagram, like, um, I don't know, like uh, Pokemon Go, for example, uh, AR, which is an AR gaming app. So we would be that distribution partner for them, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, earlier when we signed up, also creating that ad for them into relevant formats that the apps can utilize. Got it. Oh, that's very cool. So they would just basically access it through their mobile phones. They wouldn't have yes. to buy the whole like headset thing. Did you no. ever explore like more uh, sophisticated like use cases of uh, integrating it into like a Roblox or I don't know what those sandbox sandbox VR like yes applications? Yeah. Yes. So VR ads were also in the hype cycle uh, around the same time we were do working on AR ads. However, VR uh, is very uh, different. First of all, there is uh, the requirement that you need a headset. Second of all, once you install the app, there is placement within the app or the environment, the environment, virtual reality environment, where you can place uh, your ads programmatically. Mm-hmm. 
what we saw was most of their most of the ads in VR were also looking like billboards, um, just images or videos, mm-hmm. right? They are not true 3D ads that you can experience, you can touch on your environment. You can, for example, like you want to shop at IKEA. There's an IKEA ad about a couch. You can pull it into your real world environment and literally, you know see the couch live in your environment which mm-hmm. which is i think one step further from virtual reality uh, in yeah. terms of again like going back to your your mission and vision the original problem was like how can we make ads better and we stuck to that vision of we are tomorrow if they're going to be ads the ads have to be engaging they cannot be the same thing as like the billboards boring billboards or banner ads that you're seeing which are annoying and just distraction from the main space if there is an yeah. ad uh, the, the conversion is only good if it is relevant to your environment or the space you're in if it's if the user is actually interacting with the ad and finding value so we instead of like focusing i guess on like quantity of ads displayed and just getting eyeballs we were focusing on our focus was on we're going to make ads better by in, focusing on engagement and conversion that's why we picked augmented reality we were very intentional when we started out we could have pivoted to vr and made like couple of bucks in vr uh, ads um and partnering with brands um but it would be the same boring ads which we didn't stand for everything we didn't stand for yeah how how would you qua- characterize like engagement like was it like going into gamification um how how was it like yeah so um within uh, augmented reality uh, it was all these things are interesting because uh, we were almost doing we were almost the first sort of players in the space defining what engagement is defining what views mean defining what conversion means defining what kpis to even measure when someone's interacting with the ad so um i think we uh, in we kept it really basic for us in terms of measuring success of an ad the first one was how much time the user actually spent looking at the ad like uh, focusing on the ar ad that is placed in your environment the second one was how how long did they interact with the ad by moving it around in their environment and then you you can animate the ads in 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 you know uh, the real world so we also saw okay how how much are they clicking engaging uh, with this animation um with the ad and then maybe re- getting redirected to a purchase flow or uh, maybe app download for example um some of our ads were like sample games mm-hmm. so because developers are interested in advertising their own games within other ar apps right like if i'm a ar app and it's most likely that there is a user of another ar app maybe interested in my ar app we developed these sample uh, games that you could play as a preview um in another ar app and you could download that app uh so first of all we had to define the formats then we had to define kpis yeah. and we had to measure them um in our ads sdk so all of this was part of the sdk and but the main kpis is sort of put, kept it to tracking the eyeball to know where exactly the users focusing 
yeah. uh, to get to mm, gestures, which is like moving the ad within the environment. Got it. Oh, wow. That's very, very cool. It's very sophisticated. Um, tell me about like, yes, I guess going back to the lessons, like what, um, what lessons around like just being a founder of a venture backed like startup and interacting with uh, users and, you know, other potential partners, what lessons did you kind of uh, come out of this with? Yeah, so I think the f there were a lot of lessons I learned within, within the first, I guess, few months of jumping into the startup world. Yeah, the first lesson is um, the problem that you're going in to solve is important. There are a lot of problems in your life that you can focus on. Um, some maybe you have the strengths to address some may, you may not and you may need to acquire skills to address or knowledge um but i think if the problem is personal you're more motivated to solve the problem in this case um i think we try to make the problem as personal as possible which is by telling ourselves we don't like ads today the way they are today mm -hmm. and we are frustrated by the ads experience today but did we care so much about this problem <laughs> in terms of versus other problems? In a, for example, I am now super interested in fintech. Mm -hmm. I it's like my personal passion, passion space. Yeah. I'm you know every day I'm thinking about this. But back then, you know, if you would ask me, hey, like, did you think about ads every single day? No, I did not. I just jumped into this because of a hackathon. The problem was focused. I built a product and sort of happened. So I think like number one lesson is if you're going to work on a, in a startup, it's not like one year or two years. It's a lifetime commitment. Um, so make sure you work on a problem you're truly motivated, uh, truly passionate about that keeps you awake at night. Yeah. Um, and in a space where... You can either acquire skills to learn and deeply solve that problem or, you know, you already have strengths to solve that problem. Um, so that's, I guess, like the first and most important lesson um, uh, I would like to share. I, the second is about fundraising and the noise, cutting the noise of what everyone else is doing. The startup journey is a very lonesome journey, even though you may have teammates and, you know, you have great investors on your side and advisors and mentors. You still feel very alone. You feel like you're falling behind constantly. You have to step up your game, innovate every single day. Um, and uh, sometimes, you know, it's triggered by, I guess, like a the news in the space, startup space about someone raising X amount. Uh, mm -hmm. someone else raising like why amount someone yeah that's like that's like yeah. twitter for me and for all of us it's it's kind of unhealthy to be on twitter all the time and seeing all the yeah. news about folks selling their company or raising yeah. another round despite despite the recession as well yeah <laughs> so i think like that noise has to be cut because your success isn't measured by how much money you raise it's measured by how many customers you have how many clients how many paying like users do you have how much revenue are you making how much of it is you know profitable how can you um you know diversify your revenue channels what other features and products can you build to solve problems for your customers um, and thinking about your larger vision and mission and where you want to take the startup to or your business to i think cutting all of the noise <laughs> lets you focus on these important questions that yeah are, 
that will make or break your startup i think if you start focusing on like oh someone else is successful versus i'm why am i behind maybe i should be raising right now um maybe maybe i should be listening to like x investor versus y investor you know you know your business best and if you cut the noise i think you focus much more on what you need yeah what you know you may desire or what the what the industry is doing which is irrelevant most of the times yeah what about any advice on like uh fostering a healthy finding the right co-founder first of all and then that complements you your skills your personality your your the way you make decisions whatever but also yeah just fostering a good relationship with them i think the co-founder relationship is one of the most important relationships um that you're going to have um in terms of finding co-founders um it's almost like you know you guys are you know think of you're building a house if the foundation is not strong the house is not going to last so in terms of foundation there's very specific things uh you guys have to just be aligned on like who found as founders like the team you have to be aligned on first some personal some uh, focused on business i'll touch upon like personal things because on the business side you know you may have heard a lot of advice already on the yeah. personal side you have to be generally aligned on your life mission or vision that you are committed to solving this problem and you're equally as frustrated about this problem you know as the other person Yeah. If you are if I am super frustrated <laughs> about this problem and my co-founder is like I don't really care about this problem, you know, it doesn't add up. You're not aligned on solving this together. Most of the time you are pushing solutions, you're being creative versus your co-founder is like I don't really care so much. So you don't get that creativity, brainstorming, the energy that you need to really solve a tough problem. So yeah. make sure you are both equally frustrated <laughs> with with the problem and you want you almost want to make it your life mission to solve this problem if exactly. there's one problem you want to solve and leave a legacy like it is it is this yeah um because a startup journey again it's a lifetime journey it's not like two years of work on something and then like move on mm-hmm. um the second thing uh, about the co-founder relationship again on the personal side is uh conflict resolution styles um i think that it's very important to be aligned on on that um let, let's say you're you know you tend to when there's conflict you tend to uh take your own time or space uh to come back with ideas of resolution um versus like your co-founder who has a different conflict resolution style they want they want to solve it immediately and figure out what's going on um those are like kind of opposite styles um so you want to understand the other person's style and make sure you give each other that space time um to think about uh, what happened and reflect and come back and solve the conflict together and conflicts happen all the time they happen i think in like most of the time obviously on business decisions which i think are far easier to like solve than some of the personal problems that you may be facing a few examples i could think of are for example like uh com- with the, when it comes to communication let's say you you know um you you're pitching to a sales person or a business or your client you may be like the way you pitch style is different from your co-founders 
and you obviously have feedback for each other because the other person's listening when you're pitching or and has something to add um or like i may have feedback for my co-founder when they are pitching right so if you the way you present that feedback <laughs> if it clashes with like something really personal for example hey i don't like your uh, i just didn't like the way your accent came up or tone during this yeah. client presentation it's very personal thing yeah in terms of feedback uh and other person may not take it really well yeah um so you want to be careful you want to be transparent enough but at the same and honest um enough but at the same time make sure that when you're giving i guess like some of the personal feedback uh for growth that that feedback isn't coming off too strong because the other person is not like you they're opposite yeah they they're supposed to complement so you're never going to have matching pitch styles you're going to never going to you know you you will always have feedback for the other person to grow because then they're complimenting you constantly uh, yeah. if they were like you right then you wouldn't need them exactly so i think uh that dynamics when it comes to giving constructive feedback is important how you give it and then like not taking it too personally mm-hmm. dropping your ego thinking of this other person as almost your family and helping you grow having that growth mindset is important um um and that's you can only get that once you have really intimate and deep relationship with your co-founder you have to really really get to know each other uh, you know personally and what motivates them and what irritates them yeah. uh, in order to be successful so that's on the i guess like personal dynamics for co-founder on the business side uh obviously um you need commitment everybody wants you know should be working full time if they're equally frustrated about the problem they should be thinking about the problem constantly coming up with new ideas in terms of decision making um offering frameworks to resolve um you know conflicts in business decisions so that you guys can move fast um and that's the number one like way for startups to succeed which is like you can move fast and make decisions faster and yeah. be really clever about making those decisions by learning from your mistakes um so i guess like on the business side it's important to have those frameworks down important to be fully committed um and then important to like bring in your strengths um mm-hmm. address your weaknesses and constantly grow uh your weaknesses through feedback from each other yeah that makes sense wow that's very uh very good advice that that i could definitely apply to to my personal and uh professional endeavors as it relates to starting a company. I'm also on the hunt for co-founder so all of this has been very helpful for me just to listen to it on the other on the other side. So thanks for sharing that. I guess just going back on another topic which was uh around like uh, raising money and stuff. Like what are your thoughts on how the looming recession is uh affecting on like early stage startups um especially like you know seed stage series A stage startups and um how should founders kind of think about that? Yeah, I think the changing world order <laughs> is important and a big factor about you starting a startup like if you're if you haven't started a startup you're thinking about starting a startup it, you should be thinking about this new factor which is recession upcoming. If you already have a startup considering to raise money, you should be thinking about recession as well and a changing world order. Uh how the world changes is 
regardless of recession or not, is important to think about uh, because that is how you constantly innovate. People change, their their uh, habits change, and uh, so so should you. Uh, if you're if you're not constantly changing, like you know, your startup will become sort of stale. In terms of like a recession and its impact, I've seen a lot of interesting trends generally in the space. One, I've seen a lot of founders raise pre-recession mm-hmm. um, um, money so that they have enough runway to, um, you know, successfully navigate the recession. I think that that's really smart. Uh, I would advise founders, like if you can pitch, raise money, um, definitely do so. Uh, Number two, I've seen startups also cut their valuation. I think like big example of this is Stripe. Um, yeah. I think they've cut their valuation twice now. Um, and that's because of, I guess, like inflated valuations we've seen overall in the market uh, during COVID, pre-COVID. The tech space overall is changing. And what that means is we need to be really efficient with our resources and be constantly innovating and deliver output um and that requires us to start thinking about okay like what is true value of our tech in this world is it really worth billions what we are contributing um and i think like the third thing is to i've seen startup founders become overly realistic um in terms i think like there's a op- certain level of optimism and you know you should always have that um as a founder but then uh, you should also have certain sense of, um, okay, uh, realistically, do I think my startup's worth 10 million? What have I done so far that I think it is worth 10 million? How do my projections look like? How many customers do I even have? What is my CAC? Uh, when will I get to a stage where I can call myself or sorry, my business or startup worth 10 million? Um, I think. Yeah. You need to ask those questions because <laughs> it's no longer like, sure, we'll raise 500K, call ourselves worth 10 million without producing like a prototype or not having customers. I think those ages are gone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the hype cycles of so many new technologies, right? Like we knew, we know ARVR was going to hype. We got easy money. We, we know blockchain web three went through hype cycles. We got we, so many startups were funded during that time. Billions of dollars were invested. Every new technology when it's introduced, I think now is like you, you are seeing the same sort of hype in the AI space, right? Yeah. Uh, so these hype cycles, they happen. Good time to raise. Uh, mm-hmm. But then make sure your valuation is really realistic. Uh because when you're not delivering or standing up to the mark, you'll have to cut back yeah. that evaluation and no one wants to really go through <laughs> go through that process. Yeah, it's all um, about the the balance sheet now. Eh? I listen to a lot of All In like uh, episodes. Do you listen to All In? Uh, no, I don't actually listen to All In. Do you listen to any other podcasts focused on like tech and startups? Yeah, I try to like really diversify the pod, my podcast library. Uh, so I listen to some um, uh, Harvard Business Review podcasts. They cover very different to- various different topics, finance and history, and sometimes yeah. uh, f- you know science fiction, movies. Yeah. Um, and then another podcast built with um, yeah. 
definitely give that a listen i also listen to um i've been i guess like listening to like uh more financial wellness sort of podcast mm-hmm. now with the recession uh they have very good advice about managing your money and navigating especially as navigating through the financial crisis but what's the podcast called and so this is all like personal finance Yes, it's personal finance, right. but they also have very good insights about just forming. For example, if you're a solopreneur, forming LLCs, how to uh, manage your LLC versus C corp, which I think is very relevant business advice because today we see founders who are also solopreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would recommend everybody to just listen to essentially financial wellness podcast. That is very cool. I don't know this generation of of people uh, I think we're what Gen Z yes. is is just they're very cautious about what they're willing to uh like consume and right. always looking for second opinions but yet at the same time I know a lot of friends around my age they're kind of like laissez faire with their money not saying they're like reckless with it or whatever but they just don't bother kind of studying it as long as they're kind of like you know, in within like a reasonable range, they're not keeping a spreadsheet on a monthly basis about their spending and stuff like that. They're still going on vacations, they're still traveling. Right. Um, and they're still consuming. But uh, yeah, they, I don't I didn't grow up, I guess, uh, alongside friends who are like very, like financially savvy people. Right. And like, that's okay. I'm not a financially savvy person either. But I feel like I need to like get into that space. Yeah. So this one is called Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Oh, yes, um, yes. I remember that book. Yeah. My mom, uh, yes. all the immigrant uh, parents uh, forced their kids <laughs> to read it in Christmas. And that's exactly what I did last year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah the podcast really, is yeah. like really great. Um, there's a podcast version. Of, yeah. Of this. That's good to know. I didn't know that. And does, does the author host it? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Um, let's pivot over to maybe just your your hot takes i guess or common like misconceptions that you kind of believe in um about a founder that like a lot of people kind of disagree with about what a founder is or who a founder is yeah it could be anything about a, a being a founder it could be startups it could be you know investors vcs any any person in the space okay um i guess i'll start with founder because that's closely who i yeah. associated with throughout um when i uh, I guess like all through my life, I've been like sort of outlier because I've been a woman in a space that was male dominated, the tech space. Um, and then I entered the startup space, being a woman founder in the startup space, also very rare. And then getting funded as a woman founder, female founder is also very rare, only 2%. And you also studied engineering or yes. as yes. undergrad. And, and you probably yes. most of like more than 50% of the class was male dominated. Exactly. Yeah. So a founder is not a man. <laughs> First and foremost, a founder can be any person. Yes. You know, there is no like stereotype of what a founder looks like. I think generally in the industry, like people come with unconscious biases on like who a CEO is or can be or who a, yeah. a CTO is or can be. Um, and um I have dealt with fair share of those unconscious biases in my own startup journey. I would go into pitch for investor to investors. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a male co-founder 
um and they would automatically think think the male co-founder is you know like the ceo um uh, also working on tech when my co-founder was actually the product person on the mm-hmm. team and our coo was cpo and i took on the role of cto and ceo so they would be very shocked when i opened my mouth and started pitching oh wow <laughs> in the room so i think like there was also reverse uh <laughs> bias i mm. experienced in the space which is which is around uh, correction of historical correction i was given more speaking opportunities than my male co-founder at times um wow. which i didn't think was fair because of historical correction <laughs> um so i had to deal with some wait hold like, on what is what is historical correction just for for me to know the i guess the correction is oh, we haven't given women chance uh, women chances to speak chance to pitch so we're going to correct that and now have women more women pitch to us more women speak on stage uh more women represented in the boardrooms so this that's active correction that's going on but just because right like this has nothing to do with like just because you're a woman you're being given this chance now when you weren't given that same equal opportunity before um i found it really <laughs> weird uh, at times because when you are in this like co-founder dynamics you want to split everything 50-50 yeah uh, most of the time and you have equal ownership and equal representation most of the times right so some of these like industry and society like um thinking biases uh about what a founder is who a founder is what should they look like um i think it it's time that they are broken uh yeah. we have examples i think a second thing is um that i've seen that a lot of people want founders who are like or a co-founder and founding team that is half technical half non-technical mm-hmm. so they can really complement each other and that they view as a really strong team um i think if you go to like any accelerator interviews if you're going as a solo founder even if you can do it all they still want you to have a co-founder i feel like there are examples like jeff bezos yeah i'm not saying like it's it's like i'm not saying that everyone's jeff bezos yeah <laughs> you know but there are people who are technically savvy or can pick up and like but they need to own the you know decisions they need to own the um the the found what a founder comes with right which is uh ownership over uh how much they're raising um ownership over business decisions and that is just faster way for startup to run instead of always debating with a co-founder so solo founders exist and i think this constant pressure that we have about like finding someone technical or non-technical some partner uh in your journey is not always needed I know people who are like really talented mul- you know they can multitask they are uh they have strengths in both like technical and the business fields and um so the stereotype of constantly like founding team is one technical and one non technical co-founder I don't think that always um you know is ideal or can work mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you have single founder you have a engineering team mm-hmm. right 
um and maybe that founder is non technical but they can run they can still run that engineering team and get the prototype out and get customers and they're really good at selling and sales so it depends startup on a from a startup startup basis and i feel like the stereotype of constantly finding like find a co-founder find a co-founder is not always yeah. right uh for people because that stops progress uh in yeah. your in your journey to look for a co-founder exactly it's so interesting cuz on your first point about like the the biases and the i guess the profiling of like the and the assumption of what each of the co-founders roles are and like based on your gender and like you know how you look and whatever uh, i've actually heard of se- a secondhand um anecdotes of like f- uh, founder friends of mine who have been advised by other vcs to dress a certain way yes. um because vcs like to uh do pattern matching as much as they you know are are trying to counter act uh, actively go against that they are still um yeah choosing to like uh, you know it, it, like assume whether you're like in you fit in this box versus another box and like um and the story was something along the lines of like the there were these stanford like undergrads who started the social networking app yeah. and uh that vc like went to my founder friend was like yeah we invested in them because they they just you know struck to us as if they could be the next like mark zuckerberg and we immediately yeah. saw that and and so it's crazy that like this types of this type of pattern matching still exists today yeah i think the industry in the industry should just change because i think they had they had enough mistakes that were made because of boxing people mm-hmm. uh not everyone who like dresses a certain way <laughs> looks a certain way and like is maybe successful right i think the whole like private equity is about 99% of the time startups fail mm-hmm. that is irrespective of how the founder looks like or where they came from or uh what their idea was what the problem was like 99% fail <laughs> only 1% succeed and this is due to various factors like timing team everything of course they're trying to optimize on that but constantly boxing something and creating a pattern because someone else has been successful or some other companies have been successful i think statistically like speaking uh you <laughs> will probably lead to more like uh fail startups than like successful startups exactly um yeah let's i think this this is a good time to kind of wrap things up you've shared a lot of like interesting insights about you know your your journey as a founder building in in the um vr space uh i guess no not vr that was AR, ar ar yeah. vr i get the two mixed up all the time um in terms of the like their definitions um right. but also yeah i guess like to to end this like i'd love to uh hear any anything you want to share to the audience any shameless plugs that you want to yeah sure um i think one last thing i would like to say is like if you're a founder listening to this or you are a start you are trying to start your own startup remember that you also have a life yes <laughs> your work is part of your life but not all of your life so my only advice is it is important to have work life balance as founders uh make sure that um you you have a life <laughs> and you focus on your personal growth you focus on your skills and uh what you want to grow in hobbies you want to develop other than your startup and that will keep you successful at both things mm-hmm. um rather than your startup success or failure impacting your own uh, personal identity yeah. um so that's my only last advice which is uh you have a life which is more than your startup and yes. always remember that 
That is very sage advice. Thanks for coming on. And I hope uh, I get to interview you again. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me.